Live from WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, an inside look on what makes horror movies, well, horrifying. A rundown on the popular social media app, Be Real. We look at a rerun on Chicago Restaurant Week, happening last spring, and our weekly sports update. These stories and more, now on WNUR News. Thanks for tuning in. Horror movies routinely make big bucks, especially around Halloween. But what happens when the movies are more horrible than horrifying? Brendan Priestman has the story. Michael Myers is one of the most famous horror movie killers of all time. And yet, in the latest and most likely final installment of the Halloween series, Myers is an afterthought. Rotten Tomatoes calls Halloween Kills a frequently befuddling installment, and says that the audience was mostly disappointed. I dug deep into the reviews to find out why. Perhaps the review that most explains why fans are disappointed is one of the first fan reviews on the site. Michael Myers is in the movie for 10 minutes. That's the actual review. Brian Tallarico, the editor of RogerEbert.com, also was not a fan, giving the film a rating of just 1.5 stars out of 4 on his review, and saying, among other things, poorly executed in every way, clunkier editing, framing, and writing than the other two films, and... If this is truly the end, it's a whimper, not a bang. Variety magazine is perhaps even more critical, describing the film as neither scary nor fun and the most joylessly metaphorical and convoluted entry. Even CNN's review, written by Brian Lowry, calls the movie an odd, tedious film containing laughably awkward moments in the wrong places. Jezebel.com perhaps contains the best summary of the film, stating that it takes about 90 minutes for the movie to get where it's going. The final showdown between Lori and Michael lasts about 10 minutes. The site also says that Halloween Ends really wants to have something to say, but there's a difference between gesturing and actually saying something. The Times, based in the United Kingdom, was far less kind, calling the film abominable and inept. Admittedly, box office numbers aren't the best way to fully tell a story about a film, especially one that came out less than a month ago. However, at a current worldwide gross of $102,900,440 per boxofficemojo.com, Halloween Ends is the 29th most successful movie of the year. That puts it behind other widely lampooned movies such as Black Adam, which has already tripled the gross of Halloween Ends, Death on the Nile, and somehow, Morbius. Even Jurassic World Dominion, another completely unnecessary sequel, has made nearly ten times as much money as Halloween Kills. So, why? Why has one of the most famous horror franchises of all time failed so miserably in a year that's been a nice bounce back for the box office? It's probably because the original Halloween, as well as some of the more recent entries in the franchise, were primarily slasher movies. Audiences knew there was a man in a mask coming for Laurie Strode and wanted to see how she'd escape. And who wouldn't escape. Instead, the only escape is the movie Escaping from Michael Myers. As mentioned earlier, Myers barely appears in the film, and his first appearance reveals that he's just... living in the sewer. The main bad guy in this film is Corey Cunningham, who had appeared in 
Zero previous iterations of the franchise. Maybe setting up Cory as the new big bad makes sense if the director was trying to set up a potential spin-off, but Cory dies before the final fight between Michael and Lori. The entire movie feels like it was written during a game of telephone where all the writers were using their non-dominant hands. Why have Michael Myers, a man who killed basically half the town in the last movie, turn into some old guy in the sewers who gets beaten incredibly easily? Why have Laurie Strode, who, according to the 2018 film, has been planning for Michael's return for 40 years, just sort of hang around trying to set her granddaughter up for most of the film? Why is Corey, a person the audiences have never met, the main villain? By the ending of the movie, viewers are left with almost nothing. Laurie finally beats and kills Michael, spoiler alert, and then that's... About it. Michael's body is shredded, perhaps a message for what this movie did to the franchise. Laurie writes a book, and that's that. A satisfying conclusion? Maybe, if you like awkward romance movies that turn into horror films halfway through. Halloween, the original, works because it mainly focuses on the conflict between Michael and Laurie. This latest and hopefully final installment focuses instead on the relationship between Laurie's granddaughter Allison and Corey, because... Build up, I guess? Halloween ends alright. It ends with an extremely disappointing thud. For WNUR News, I'm Brendan Kreisman. B-Real has taken over the social media scene in 2022. All your friends probably have it. And if they don't, they're certainly no stranger to posing a daily picture. But the app needs to find a way to compete with major players like Instagram and TikTok. John Ferreira has the story. It's time to be real. If you're on a college campus, you've probably heard that colloquialism by now. Prompted by a push notification, millions of users flock to capture a spontaneous picture of their day on the Uber viral app. Be Real boasts 15 million downloads, most of which have come in the past six months, and it's been looking to capitalize on its growing audience ever since. In July of this year, it overtook Twitter in monthly downloads. In August, it beat out Snapchat's numbers. Only Instagram and TikTok have continued to outpace the French-based company when it comes to adding users. Despite its mounting success, critics have been quick to point out that the app's longevity is still very much in question. Why? Well, first, people just don't spend time on Be Real. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that an app designed solely to capture a moment within a two-minute period of everyone's day won't generate frequent use. Most who upload regularly just tap on the notification, snap a picture, scroll through some of their friends' posts, and log off until the next alert. I went to Allison Dining Hall to ask students about their Be Real usage. I would say approximately four minutes. Five seconds to take a picture and that's it. The one minute I post. Probably like five. I, I don't really react. I'll just post and then like I'll look at who's posted already and then I'll get off probably. Like three minutes. Those are students' responses to how much time they spend on the app per day. And hear what those same students said when asked about how much time they spend on TikTok or Instagram. I think I spend like an hour on TikTok a day probably. <laughs> like 10 minutes on Instagram maybe? An hour a day maybe? Recently I really haven't been using it. So maybe like... 30 minutes or something. Okay. Like two, two and a half hours <laughs> every day, yeah. 
The second problem BeReal faces is monetization. Unlike their established competitors, the app has yet to produce any revenue. Right now, they're operating solely off of money raised from three rounds of venture capital funding, highlighted by a $30 million Series A run. But BeReal has yet to find a way to make money off their users. A recent report from the Financial Times notes that executives within the company have been adamant that advertising would be disruptive to the user experience. That same report detailed BeReal's plan to eventually roll out in-app purchases. The looming question about the proposition is, would anyone actually pay for an extra feature or two on BeReal, an app that they probably don't spend much time on anyways? Absolutely not. No. No shot. No. No. Probably not. I don't, I don't think I'd pay for like any like social like media. So yeah, things aren't looking good. The report noted that this monetization effort would likely roll out in the back half of 2023. And who knows if people will still be hooked on the app's fast-paced, trendy theme by then. In the meantime, the company has lots to worry about in its competition. TikTok was quick to release a new feature labeled TikTok Now in early September. Snapchat added a two-sided camera, a staple of BeReal, to their platform in August. And an Instagram spokesperson has said an internal BeReal-esque prototype is in development. Needless to say, challenges await the social media startup. Will it turn into another clubhouse? The infamous one-hit wonder app that took people by storm in 2021 before falling into disarray? Or can it hold the course, increase user participation, build a monetization path, and follow in the footsteps of the current behemoths atop the social media mountain? For WNUR News, I'm John Ferrara. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 611 Central. WNUR News is excited to bring you Fall Quarter's special hour-long broadcast this Friday, 11-11. The theme, Don't You Wish You Knew. Our special broadcast last spring covered the annual Chicago Restaurant Week happenings. Follow Jong-un Jennifer Kim as she speaks with a student who shares their experience at one of the restaurants last March. Chicago Restaurant Week. Chicago Restaurant Week. Chicago Restaurant Week is finally here. Starting from Friday, March 25th up to last Sunday, April 10th, Chicago had a very special annual event called the Chicago Restaurant Week. As many of you may already be familiar with, during this period, Michelin star restaurants offer their food at a lower price, allowing more people to afford it. TJ Kim, a sophomore at Northwestern University, made a visit to one of the restaurants on April 1st. I mean, like initially, I wanted to, you know, participate in the Chicago Restaurant Week, mainly because I thought I would try out different restaurants in, in like a couple of days, but then I decided or I ended up going to just one, which is funny. While he was unable to follow his initial plan of trying multiple restaurants, TJ says he did enjoy his experience at the one restaurant he was able to visit. I visited um, Boulevard Chicago Steakhouse. As a big fan of steak, TJ had always hoped to check out many of these steakhouses, and Chicago Restaurant Week appeared to be one of the best opportunities to do so. Mainly because like, I always wanted to go there because I, I, I love going to different steakhouses. If you, if you call it steakhouse hopping, sure. But Chicago being one of the most prominent um, steakhouses, I wanted to try um, different steakhouses. According to TJ, the meal is usually $30 to $50 per person. Let me do the math for you real quick. If you multiply 30 by 2, that's 60. If you multiply 50 by 2, that's 100 which means on an average day, a two-person meal would cost 60 minimum and 100 maximum. But then 
um, me being a student uh, under a budget constraint, I was not able to do so. So I thought Chicago Restaurant Week was such a good opportunity for me to try um, the steakhouse that I wanted to go at a, a fairly cheap price. The price was very fair. I, I think I paid 55, including, um, if you include tip, like 70. Quite surprising, huh? $55 is less than the minimum price that people would have to pay regularly. He further adds that the food quality was chef's kiss. Price was very fair. I, I think I paid 55 if you include tip, like 70 which for a, for a, course, a dinner course meal. I was served with an appetizer of kale Brussels sprout salad and for my entree short rib barbacoa. And for the dessert to finish off, I ate sweet potato cake which was kind of a nourishing experience. To have a sweet potato cake in the steakhouse was a surreal experience, I guess. But if TJ had to point out a flaw, he says there was a slight disappointment in the choice of the menu. But the fact that I wasn't able to eat like a normal steak, per se, the price could have been better, I guess. He went for the steak, but didn't get that steak. In general, the food was nice but the mood was a plus. As always, good mood comes with good food. The atmosphere itself wasn't that crowded, nor was it too noisy as I expected, considering it being a Chicago restaurant week. I can't say quiet, but normal after all. When asked whether he would recommend this annual event to other students, TJ gave an unsure response. I can't firmly say yes or no, because I only went to just one restaurant instead of many which I had the opportunity to. So I guess 50-50 for sure. For all the freshmen, Chicago Restaurant Week could be potentially another bullet point to your bucket list. Talk to other people who've been to the event. Perhaps they have a better or maybe even worse experience. But I'd say giving it a try won't hurt, especially with the low prices. This is Jung and Jennifer Kim signing off from WNUR News. And now, a little bit of action for your hump day. The close of the fall sports season draws near, bringing with its exciting postseason play. Here's your NU Sports Report for the week with Zach McCrary. Hi, I'm Zach McCrary, and it's time for your NU Sports Report for the week. We've got a ton of action to cover, so let's get straight into it. It was a high-stakes weekend for the Northwestern volleyball team as they took on two top 10 in-conference opponents at home. First on Friday, Cats played the number 6 Ohio State Buckeyes, but were swept 3-0. Buckeyes posted a 316 hitting percentage, led by Janasia Moore with 13 kills. Then on Sunday, an early morning thriller as Northwestern took number 4 Nebraska to a 5th set tiebreaker. A record 4,019 people were in attendance for the game, the most for a volleyball game in Welsh Rhine Arena. Temi Thomas-Ilara had a season-best 26 kills that day to go alongside a killer 333 hitting percentage. Cats had the opportunity to take the match in four sets as they led late in the set, 23-21, but three consecutive errors and a decisive kill by Whitney Lorenstein forced a fifth set. In that set, setter Sierra Nordemir suffered an injury as she dove for a ball that went into the stands. She was escorted off the court and taken to hospital. Coach Shane Davis later gave an update on Monday on her status. Nordemir has been released from the hospital in stable condition under the care of the Northwestern Sports Medicine staff. 
Wildcats Volleyball is grateful for the rapid response of our athletic trainers and physicians, the support of the Northwestern fans, as well as the compassion and consideration exhibited by Nebraska student-athletes, coaches, and fans in attendance. Cats lost the final set. They dropped to 17-9 on the season. Next match will be Friday at Michigan at 6 p.m. on Big Ten+. Plus. Meanwhile, the Northwestern football team also faced Ohio State. The number two Buckeyes came to town on an incredibly dark, windy, and rainy day. Gusts were up to 70 miles per hour, which spelled out an interesting opportunity for the Cats to pull off the upset. Wildcats were first to strike as they forced Ohio State to punt twice in the first quarter before pulling off the 80-yard drive to the end zone, capped by a 16-yard rush TD by running back Evan Hull. Hull was by far the most productive team member, rushing for 122 yards on 30 attempts. Though NU gained more yards than OSU, the Buckeyes put together three touchdowns to make it a 21-7 final score. Cats are now 1-8. Their next game will be in Minneapolis against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Kickoff is 2.30 on Saturday on BTN. Action in the Big Ten field hockey tournament wrapped up with a championship game where the Cats faced the fourth-seeded Michigan Wolverines. The Wolverines struck first when Kate McLaughlin put the ball in the box late in the first quarter and again scored when Bryn Zarilla batted the ball in to put Michigan up 2-0. Cats rallied back with five minutes left in the game after Lauren Wattis scored off a penalty corner, but it wasn't enough. The Michigan Wolverines won the Big Ten title 2-1. However, this isn't the end of the road for the Wildcats as the NCAA tournament looms. The nationally ranked number two Wildcats have earned home field advantage for the first two rounds. It will be the first time Northwestern hosts the NCAA tournament in program history. Cats will play Miami of Ohio in the first round this Friday at noon. You can watch for free on Big Ten Plus. If the Cats advance, they will play the winner of Iowa versus Virginia on Sunday at 1 p.m. The season for the men's soccer team came to a close last Friday after narrowly clinching a spot in the Big Ten tournament. They traveled to College Park to face the seventh-seeded Maryland Terrapins in the first round. The game was tied at nil-all for the first 75 minutes of the play until Colin Griffith punched in his second goal of the season, leading the Terrapins to a 1-0 victory. Meanwhile, the women's soccer team was at Lower.com Field in beautiful Columbus, Ohio last Thursday for Big Ten tournament play. They faced the number six seed, Penn State Nittany Lions, in the semis, where they were quickly down two to nothing in the first half. Kate Wiesner put the ball in the back of the net in the second minute, and Peyton Linehan did the same not long after. The scoring stopped there. Penn State moved on to the finals against Michigan State, where they defeated the Spartans to win the tournament 3-2. The women's soccer team will also be hosting NCAA tournament play, where the Cats will host the SIUE Cougars on Saturday at Martin Stadium at 1pm Central. The game will be shown on ESPN+. And finally, it's November, which means it's time for basketball season to start back up again. The men's team seasons officially started on Monday against the Chicago State Cougars, where the Cats hastily put them away 85-54. Forward Robbie Barron had a career-high 20 points, and guard Boo Booey also held his own with 16 points and 6 assists. The men's next game will be this Friday at home against Northern Illinois. You can watch on Big Ten Plus. Tip-off will be at 7 p.m. The women's team started their season away in Eugene, Oregon to face the number 20 Ducks. Oregon scored a whopping 52 points in the paint as Grace Van Sluten led Oregon to a 100-57 victory. Kaylee Walsh was the top scorer for the Cats, netting 15 points and going 6-for-11 on field goals. The team's next match will be at home versus UPenn. Game time is 12pm on Sunday on Big Ten+. Plus. 
And that's all for the NU Sports Report for this week. There's a lot of action coming up in the next few days, and you won't want to miss any of it. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Zach McCrary, WNUR News. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.21 p.m. Central Time. I'm Iris Swarthout. In the headlines tonight, several Northwestern students worked as volunteer election judges on Election Day Tuesday. They set up election equipment, verified voter qualifications, and maintained order at the polling stations. Evanston residents made the trek out to the 25 polling places available in Evanston, which opened at 6 a.m. Tuesday for the 2022 midterm elections. Residents were able to vote until 7 p.m. As for the results of the Illinois 2022 midterm election, Democratic incumbent Governor J.B. Pritzker was re-elected for a second term yesterday. Democratic incumbent U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth also won re-election. Republican Dan Brady conceded to Democratic candidate Alexei Genolius in the Illinois Secretary of State race. Next door, Michigan re-elected incumbent Democrat Gretchen Whitmer, defeating Trump-endorsed Tudor Dixon by just over a 10% margin. Moving south, Arkansas elected its first female governor, Republican Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The race for Pennsylvania governor ended in a win for Democrat Josh Shapiro, who beat Republican Doug Mastriano by around 13% of votes cast. Taking a look at the weather for tonight, Evanston will stay warm and windy tonight and into tomorrow, with winds peaking to 15 miles per hour. Heading into the weekend, temperatures will start to dip below 50 and even 40 degrees, indicating a few snowflakes Tuesday. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our brand new website, wnur.news. Again, that's wnur.news. Our producer today is Brandon Kondritz. And our reporters are Brandon Priestman, John Ferreira, Jong-Yoon, Jennifer Kim, and Zach McCrary. For all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Iris Worthout. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time on Friday, November 11th for our special broadcast. Now, back to scheduled programming.